Hello and welcome to Platforms for Future. This podcast is about building and scaling B2B platform ventures to help you to accelerate and de-risk your journey with practical tips and insights. In our conversations, we talk to founders, executives, and experts, uncovering what they experienced and learned building their ventures. But we also cover new trends like ecosystem strategies, IoT and data platforms, Web3 and sustainability. This podcast is complementary to our Platform Innovation Kit toolset and the Platform Academy, where you can find more tools and learning opportunities for you and your team. For more information, please visit platforminnovationkit.com. And now, enjoy today's conversation. Hello and welcome to a new episode of our lovely podcast, Platforms for Future. And here with me, my French co-host, Natalie. Hello, Natalie. Hi, Matthias. Great to be here again. Yes. And again, we have also another great platform from Germany in our podcast presented by Martin. Hi, Martin. Everybody. Nice to be here. Hi, Martin. And today we will talk about the climate transition, energy, and how data platforms can help here to ensure that we do the climate transition the right way. And uh, Martin can explain us a bit better what is DigiCo, how this platform helps everybody around us, and uh, also, of course, who is Martin. So Martin, please, can we start with a short introduction? Of course. Uh, thank you. Yeah, my name is Martin. I'm happy to be here. I'm the CEO of Digico. And with uh, Digico, we are forecasting the future of the local climate transition. So we are forecasting where will be the various elements of the um, climate relevant infrastructure in the world on a geographical platform. That means our platform, the DigiPad, it looks basically like Google Maps. But we don't show restaurants and sites, but we show you or energy companies respectively, where will be e-chargers, which house will have rooftop PV on its top, in which year, in what year will customers change from gas heating to electrical heat pumps. So these kinds of forecasts on a geographical basis, on a yearly basis, and really um, concrete to the relevant building we provide on our platform. And these kinds of geographical forecasts are used by municipalities, by municipal energy companies, or by private energy companies to plan their infrastructure. And infrastructure then means electricity grids, gas grids, or certain power plants also. That's what we do. That's our offering. Um, and our platform functions not only as a forecaster, but it only functions in a way as social network, because um, that's the beauty about the platform. In the climate transition, and most of you will know, there's not only one stakeholder who's taking care of it, there are several stakeholders in every locality. So in one town, there's the mayor and its team taking care of it. It's an energy company taking care of it. Maybe um, there's an energy company which takes care of generation and another one which takes care of the electricity and gas grids. And then there are, of course, the inhabitants of the city 
who are also very interested in living in a climate neutral or maybe even climate positive environment. And those stakeholders, all of us, so to say, as inhabitants, we can interact on the platform and plan the climate transition in the city together with the major players. And these are the two elements of the DigiPad, forecasting what's actually going to ha happen and bringing all the players together so that um, the energy transition and the climate transition can be planned on a local level involving all stakeholders. So I can understand how the use of the data could be uh, very wide. Uh, I'm sure there are many opportunities for using that type of data. How do you capture the data? How does the data come into the platform? So we do use three elements or three different sources of data. On the one hand, we use public data. So there's, for example, in different counties or states in Germany, there's free data on, for example, solar potential on roofs. In other states, uh, this data is not publicly available and you have to uh, purchase it on a normal B2B data market. That's normal or very common data that is traded. That's basically already the second source of data. We purchase social, economic and building relevant data for every building in Germany on a statistical base. We know how old is the building, what size uh, or how much energy does the building consume, but also actually who in statistical terms live there, how old are the people probably who live there, in what relationships are they how great is their affinity to e-mobility. And then this is like B2B purchase data. And then we have a third layer of data, which is data from exclusive partnerships. So for example, we're working together with a, a large German automotive company and they provide us data from their electric car fleet so that we know where are their cars driving, standing, charging. And also from this kind of data, we can come to conclusions about the future, for example, of e-chargers in certain streets, because we know maybe there are three electrical vehicles parking every night um, on the same spots in the street, and there's no EV charger. So it's pretty obvious that there will be one in the close future. So these are basically the three parts of data we always have as a base load in our platform. And then when we work with customers, so for example, with a certain city or a certain company, of course, the company, the customer can provide additional data. Like real, let's say it's a gas, gas grid um, operator. They know how much gas is being uh, used by the different households and they can provide us with this real uh, gas consumption data. So we can enhance our models which are based on social economic and building data and on these exclusive partnership data through real data from the ground, from this certain uh, locality, um, so that uh, we enhance our model. These are the three baseload ways and the one additional way in a customer project. Okay, so this is a, a long introduction and a lot of details here. So if I understood it correctly, so the market is highly fragmented. So we have a lot of players in there, small players, big players, energy companies, municipalities, citizens, and so on, and the industry players and so on. So we have a lot of fragmentation, but to go into an energy transition, you need to carefully plan 
and build the right infrastructure. And therefore, using data is really helping to make the right decisions for every player in this market. Going back to the origin, how do you start it, Digico? Um, what was the origin? What was the reason to create this platform? Yeah, so Digico was founded as one spin-off, let's say, of one of the largest grid companies in Germany, which is Westnetz. Again, there are. And Westnetz is exactly in this, uh, I would call it partnership dilemma, which I described earlier. So, as a grid company, Westnetz wants to involve municipalities and citizens in planning the ideal um, energy infrastructure for their respective areas. And they wanted, okay, how can we do that? And then we figured, okay, we can do that by bringing all these stakeholders together on one platform and let them look together at the same map, at the same models, at the same forecasts, and come together to the conclusion what the ideal energy infrastructure is. And you, you mentioned it already, um, the market is greatly fragmented. So in Germany, we do have around 900 um, municipal energy or grid companies. Um, we have 11,000 municipalities in Germany, and all of these are in the position that they need to master the energy transition. So basically going from conventional generation to like solar or PV, then they need to manage the heat transition, which is coming from gas and oil heating to climate neutral heating. And they need to manage the mobility transition coming from conventional mobility to, for example, EVs, electric vehicles, or maybe also hydrogen logistics in the future. And these three transitions, um, these are done 11,000 times in Germany by roughly 900 energy and grid companies. And for each of these, uh, you have exactly the problem I just described. Um, there need to be many stakeholders involved uh, locally and those we can involve on our platform. And that's um, what Westnets understood five years ago when Digico was spun off. And now we are quite grown up and not only support Westnets, but also support many other companies and municipalities uh, across Germany. And this is also the origin of your name, right? Digico, like digital collaboration or cooperation. And you also mentioned it, the players need to come together. But how is this matchmaking? How is this coming together look like on your platform? How do you manage this? So I would say it's uh, two different answers. If we are looking at our platform in a fully automated, let's say, sales way, then our platform works like Amazon Prime. So a municipal energy company can log in. Uh, it can say, hey, I'm interested in forecasting um, the rooftop PV development for the next 15 years in my city. It gets an automated price, it buys the forecast, it shows on the map, and the energy company can use this data to do their calculations. So there's not much done about matchmaking. But if we go into a project with this platform and say, hey, look, we use this platform in for you, together with you um, to actually do the municipal uh, climate transition planning, then it's exactly the case that you mentioned. Whoever is leading in this project, let's say the municipality is leading this project, and they say, hey, we would like to involve 
um, our energy provider, our electricity grid provider, our gas grid provider, and we would like to involve certain representatives of the citizens. And we would like to maybe have a function so that um, citizens can, for example, on the map choose spots where they want to see electrical ve uh, vehicle charging. And um, this is very individual again, from municipality to municipality. Um, so some say, I want what I just described, and others say, hey, I want to use your platform first alone and come to a conclusion, and then I invite others to give feedback, look at it, and inter interact with us. So the answer to your question is not a single one for all of the 11,000 municipalities or 900 energy companies. And so in terms of the use you're describing, what's the recurrence of a municipality using the platform? Because if I understand what you're saying, they want to maybe go into planning for the next 15 years. They will purchase the state of things today and maybe also engage you on project management, etc. But it's kind of a one-off, right? You might think that. But it's, um, it's never one-off. Like, just imagine the past 12 months, how much one-off you would say was it to decide something about a gas grid in December, or let's say even February 22 and February 23. So having a Russian invasion in Ukraine um, totally changed the energy landscape in Germany, changed the prices, changed business cases for gas and electricity grids, changed even actually the profitability and the ability to survive for certain energy resellers. For most of the people out there not being part of the energy industry, it feels like a one-off. It also feels like you put gas grids in the earth and then they are there. Um, but actually the, the um, situation changes on a weekly basis, on a monthly basis, especially now, um, we got, uh, we are talking about climate transition for 20 years now, at least. I mean, some, I guess for 40 years, but I mean, intensively in Germany, probably for 20 years. There are uh, certain um, development programs by the government, which can speed up or slow down the developments extremely. And a grid company, is greatly dependent on the fact whether a rollout of EV charging infrastructure is going quickly or slowly. If heat pumps are being installed with a high growth rate or a small growth rate, and probably, let's say, let's take heat pumps, the ask from the market for electrical heat pumps is after the war on Ukraine much higher than before because it became more financially viable due to the development of gas prices. And this is something which doesn't stop, let's cross our fingers that such a war doesn't happen again and doesn't take too long anymore. But these kind of, it's probably a buzzword, but it's correct here, this kind of disruptions um, occurring again and again that make it necessary to adapt the planning, to reprioritize if um, a grid is enhanced at first in your uh, street, Natalie, or in Matthias street. In mine, please, in mine. <laughs> yeah. If you let me know where you live, I'll try to pass it on. Actually, I'm in France. So I, are you in France or you're focused on Germany? We are focused on Germany at the moment. We also do projects internationally. One of our greatest partners also I'm based in Silicon Valley, where I spent a week last week, which is also the reason why I'm a little bit jet lagged. 
but um, we are focused on Germany right now. And it's, it's an interesting example also looking at Europe, because in France, the situation is totally different. Yes. It's a centralistic energy system. And our business model, for example, wouldn't fly in France because the large uh, grid and energy companies uh, in France are able to provide this kind of forecast themselves. Whereas in Germany, where you've got 900 companies catering tiny markets, um, they don't have the capacity to build up such a complex model like we have themselves. I think that's probably true for the electricity provider, but with regard to electric vehicle uh, chargers, etc., it's yes. more fragmented and uh, it's uh, haymuck, if I can say like that at the moment. That's true. Like for your cities, from a city's point of view, you have the same challenges. Yes. Um, if a city wants to know where they place, where they want electric vehicle charging stations to be placed, our model flies in the same way. For the industrial side, the energy industry side of things, it's a little different. Yeah. You're talking about model, and this reminds me on artificial intelligence, where you also have models and you need to train the models. I assume it's the same for you. So it's not just gathering data and delivering data, but it's more about delivering intelligence, so the, the right insights and helping them to make the right decisions. So how do you work with the data and how does it look like? Is it also artificial intelligence behind or how do you structure it? Yeah. So of course, I, I cannot explain too many details because uh, that's like the core of the whole business proposition. But yeah, um, AI is involved. By the way, I've heard an amazing lecture at Berkeley last week um, from Peter Beal about Uh, the development of AI, he's the founder of Covariant, right? And that also reminded me how much work we have to do in Germany to catch up with certain developments uh, across the sea, which we, I think, kind of miss in some parts, at least, of the industry. So coming back to Digico, indeed, we are training our systems um, with uh, statistical data mainly and then comparing the outcomes of our forecast with what we actually do in reality and how people actually decide. So when we say um, we forecast that a household will decide for a electrical heat pump, for a EV charger and for rooftop PV, over time, of course, we can uh, see whether we do um, make the right recommendations or forecasts. However, I need to admit, it's not that easy to train here because it's not um, training our system in finding pictures of cats and we have a million pictures of cats and then we have just to say, yes, that's a cat. No, that's not a cat. We have to train it in forecasting complex decisions which change over time. So if we would have forecasted something for a household in 2012, uh, which then decided for one or the other decision, um, this household might have might take totally different today. That's actually one of our major challenge. Um, how do you learn from reality in a world where reality and underlying facts for decision taking constantly change, which is what I said before: pricing change, we have disruptions, we have government um, uh, programs to enhance or foster certain developments, and um, yeah. That's, uh, that's the way we're training. On some parts, I can easily say it's also not AI-based. 
there are certain very simple correlations uh, in decision taking of people which are more easy to forecast and there are others which are more difficult to forecast on the more easy side for example i can say if you see a household with pb on the roof and in a heat pump then you can bet with 92 or 95% probability that there will be an ev charging a wall box as we call it in germany on its uh, on its garage soon but then there are other things for example like if you look into game theory and you think of your street or your house where you live you might ask yourself who needs to be the first mover from your neighbors so that you follow so who is this one customer in the street a municipal energy customer uh, a municipal energy company needs to target in order to make the others follow because the energy company cannot prescribe wallbox cannot prescribe it can only give incentives so who's the one to follow that's game theory and that's something we haven't modeled fully yet but this is something which has great value because if you can find these key persons in the neighborhood and then you can change whole social systems by targeting the right few persons households or families in the in the area So it's it's related to the influencer, right? So finding yeah. the right influencer in your street, and usually in networks, you look for connections and how many other connections they have, etc. So what is their impact? Yeah, really, really interesting. And this is exactly where you need to gather a lot of data and train AI or build different kind of models. Yeah, really, really interesting. I mean, if you are on the influencer side of things, it's obvious, right? You see the connections, you see the network. If you think about your elderly neighbor who lives in the street um, since 20, 30 years and doesn't have an online footprint, so to say, how do you come to this guy? How do you find out that he is talking to everybody on the street when he's uh, taking the newspaper in his home or bringing other sites out to the street, uh, coming from the supermarket or so on? This kind of very unsexy, very down-to-earth, very real, half-urban, semi-urban areas. That's a sweet spot for the climate transition where the also the capital is for people to invest personally in climate transition infrastructure, which you probably do not have so much among the people in their 20s, 30s, being super, super active on, on social media or other channels. Yeah, you also say that DigiCo helps them to make better decisions of where to invest, how to build. How do you measure this? Can you say, okay, without DigiCo, it would have cost them this and this, or it would be maybe a delay of X years? How can you validate and underline your value proposition? I mean, coming really to this exact case, comparison with or without DigiCo is difficult because a company or a municipality doesn't do a plan Then ask Digico. Digico does another plan, and then they, you compare it. You would need to have these two perfect plans to compare and compare costs. So that's uh, that never happens, or hopefully never happens, because that would be a waste of resources on the side of our customers and partners if they do uh, two plannings at the same time. However, what we do is that we shorten the whole strategic planning process immensely. So by using our platform. You leapfrog through many weeks and months of data gathering, um, of doing a status quo analysis, of starting green fields, so to say, which you can quite easily 
put into numbers because compared to consulting rates or similar rates of of service companies who would do that for you as an energy company, um, we are quickly in the hundred thousands of euros then. Um, and then, of course, but that's something we'll be comparing and developing over time. Of course, we will see um, over time that when then grid, with electricity grids, gas grids, or other infrastructure um, is developed, used our approach, then we come quickly in the millions or even billions, one need to say, um, if you look at in a macroeconomic view, um, that are, let's say, not safe, but better allocated, taking into account the probable decision of each and every household. I think this value proposition is easier to understand if you take into account that this approach, the approach of looking at the individual household's decision, like something you would see in retail every time, right? A retail marketing company would always ask, what will the single person do in the supermarket? Which product will it take? That's like everyday business. In the energy industry, we're not used to do that. So we look at holistic assets at whole countries or at least cities. We plan a huge machine. And when I started in the energy industry, my first employer didn't even talk about people. It were just um, electrical connection points. So that's what's the way of thinking about the end customer. And now... If you reflect what I said, what we do, we forecast the decision of each and every customer for each and every building. That is totally mind-blowing to compare to the thinking we had even a few years ago. And that's when you see our forecast will help immensely to be more correct and concrete in how infrastructure is planned because the comparison is we don't look at all at the customer's decisions, and now we put them in the center, and it makes a huge difference, I can tell. It's at the same time exciting and maybe even scary, <laughs> because you can imagine so many things, quite uh, daunting, in fact, to be changing completely this, this approach. Dear listeners, I hope you enjoy our podcast and you can learn more about building and scaling a successful platform business. I'm Matthias, CEO of Fastbreak One. And as you know, we at Fastbreak One are platform entrepreneurs by heart. Since over 20 years, we are building new platforms and this makes us one of the most experienced platform venture builders around the globe. If you are a corporate and you tried out different strategies, consultants, IT partners, but your platform initiative struggles to scale, please check out our assessment services. For example, we work closely together with a leading insurance company who tried to establish a platform for two years but the results were below expectations and the risk to fail was very high. Within one month, we helped them to understand the bottlenecks and created a step-by-step -step plan to scale. Today, we are working very closely with the company and the platform became a market leader. Yes, we are no consultants. We are entrepreneurs and we love to share the risk and go full in in building new platform ventures. Learn more about our experience and our practices of work at our website, www.fastbreak.one or send us an email to contact at fastbreak.one. And now let's go back to the conversation. What would you say has been or is the most complicated thing in this adventure, in this whole adventure? 
the biggest hurdles you have or you had to overcome? I think we have touched one, this is AI training. That's, of course, technologically challenging. But I need to say, I think the most uh, difficult part is the scaling. You've heard the numbers I was talking about. So we are not talking about a market where we have millions of customers or even billions of customers. Let's take out the municipalities and let's focus on the energy companies. If you would have 100% market share in the German market, we would have 900 customers. For a platform business, and you have talked to many, <laughs> that sounds ridiculous. Well, I don't know. It depends what the business model is and the recurrence. That's why I was also asking about the recurrence, right? And yeah. the recurrence of use, et cetera. And in fact, because the use cases are so potentially wide, I don't find that ridiculous at all. <laughs> okay. But I can understand what you mean. I can understand what you mean. So it's a, it's a small number of customers. And I guess the ones listening to us will also have noticed It's a bit complex, plus it's changing a lot from traditional thinking. And now combine these factors, few potential customers and a model that needs quite some capital to be developed. This combination leads us, and I've mentioned this word already one, two times, this pushes us into a project kind of business, right? Where we are now doing projects with customers. And that's also something Matthias mentioned already. We don't do software as a service. We basically do intelligence as a service. We provide intelligence for energy companies and municipalities to plan their infrastructure in a better way than they have been doing it so far. And selling intelligence as a service on scale, you are in the area of the McKinsey's and BCG's in the world, right? Like very professional, old consulting firms doing that manually, human-based, all over the world. And we do that platform-based in Germany, in an industry that is rather traditional. And um, yeah, that makes scaling difficult. That makes us explain a lot. That makes us go into projects, prove our point, prove our value coming from there, really gradually, step-by-step, step, here and there, into the market and transition at the same time to a platform model where these customers stay our customers with returning revenues. Yeah, I think you described uh, very well the challenges of B2B platforms, right? Yeah. So you have a lower number of transactions, but a higher value or volume. So you're not talking about 100 euro, you talk about maybe 50,000 euro or whatever of, of a transaction volume. And then it's uh, the less number of people in the market. So you have 900 or whatever, or 10,000 instead of 1 million. And you have different markets like Germany, it's different than France. So it's, it's also harder to scale. And then what we also typically see is that those B2B platforms have different kind of business models combined. So they have transaction-based, but also, as you said, as a service, intelligent as a service or other kind of subscription-based uh, models included. So they always tend to have a hybrid model. Also reflecting on what you said earlier, I think the biggest advantage here for you is also that AI needs to be trained. And we had this in a previous podcast, a platform provides a very, very and highly efficient way to gather data from different data sources. And so you can train the AI faster compared to other ones and make your models much more intelligent. And this is maybe also a big advantage versus your, maybe the human-based consulting approaches. 
They have also their advantages, but gathering data in a fast way, training models faster, having better predictions. I think this is a clear advantage here and also a model for the future. That's true. But I need to say it's also um, a challenge because, and this is, I think, a good thing, energy companies, utilities in general, municipalities, they are extremely cautious with the data they provide to platforms or service providers. So at the moment, we only use the data for training when our partners explicitly agree to that. And we do not need to discuss that there's absolutely no risk in uh, data protection. Of course, it's totally secure, it's anonymized. We are using a best practice platform architecture, which we built together with our partner Intertrust and Silicon Valley. They are in the data protection and data steering business for decades now, coming from a media space. So there's absolutely no risk. And still in these worlds, people are very cautious and it's even hard to convince our customers that we are allowed to use this data for training. Um, often we really sandbox it and it's not used for anything else, but for the specific project. So that makes the training even harder. You mentioned it also when you have to deal with municipals, then it's not just convincing them about working together, but also you need to educate them and transform them Uh, digitally transform them from their mindset, from their processes, etc., so that you enable them to really work with you. So it's a different challenge. And this is maybe taking the longest time, right? So <laughs> working together with them for multiple years, and then they are ready to join and ready to work together with you. And this is then again, not our core competency, right? So we are not a change consultancy. But yeah, that's this, this kind of interesting field uh, with very different influencing factors. That makes it a lot of fun because we're combining expertise from energy, from mobility, from heat, from climate uh, to uh, software, AI platform business and bringing all this together for our customers. That's a great field. It's a lot of fun. We are learning also a lot. And I think it's always important in life, but it uh, brings uh, its challenges along. I think what you were both saying uh, brings uh, everything back again to trust. Matthias, you know, uh, I'm going to talk about trust. <laughs> I think everyone, uh, you know, every company or local authorities want to uh, benefit from an ecosystem uh, consolidated uh, set of data, but nobody wants to give it. Yeah. And when I'm saying give, it's because I think that's where the misconception lies. You know, it's not give like a blank check, as we say in France. Uh, you don't uh, just open your data and done with it. It's not like that at all. And I think... There's many ways to use the data without breaking the confidentiality, etc. But that comes to that question of trust and of uh, making people understand that particularity because it then becomes fairly technical, right? Because you have to explain that, okay, data is protected, blah, 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 but you have to go into technical things which are not necessarily very accessible for a lot of people. And because it mixes things like trust with technical elements and uh, change of mindset, and it's fairly complex. And I think not only on your industry and not only with local authorities, for sure. And now if you are combining what you just said with the fact that the person you're talking to actually just wants to plan a gas grid, You know, then, then it becomes a funny mixture of things. 
And usually the competency is not at one point in the company, right? That probably with your company, it's the same. There's the data protection expert. It's not your first go-to person for strategy questions. It's not your first go-to person for the digital transformation questions and so on and so forth. So suddenly you're looking at a large table of people who need to be um, consulted in order to work together. And as I said, it's a lot of fun because after all, so far, our experiences were very positive. We can explain everything. We can show that we can be trusted. Um, we have a track record. We come from, and it's a nice thing about us, we come from uh, Bestnet as the largest uh, German electricity grid operator. And um, people know in the industry, okay, if Bestnet is trusting them, I can probably also trust them. That's a lot of great help. And that we are, let's say, not the classical startup who's just founded in, in some basement without connections in the industry. But we bring along a lot of, um, let's say, uh, respect from the core business, understanding of the core business, and that helps um, in our business a lot. Yeah, Matthias and I also very much believe in corporate venture building, right, Matthias? <laughs> Absolutely. And um, this sounds like a perfect example. They have seen the, the opportunity, uh, kind of a spin-off, and then bring in great people like Martin with uh, the entrepreneurial mindset and the entrepreneurial understanding, and then also the passion to drive this. So it's exactly what is required. So spin-offs and um, entrepreneurial power, and this leads to a lot of great opportunities for platforms and, and, and new businesses. And um, looking into the future, uh, Martin, so you described your challenges in the past and where you are maybe right now, but what's next for Digico? So how do you see Digico in the next years evolve? <laughs> yeah, that's two different questions. What's next and what happens in the next years? Next, <laughs> years, is <a> long, <laughs> next years is a long time frame for a company like ours. And we've touched upon that. So what we do, providing support in the climate transition, bringing the world to a climate neutral, maybe climate positive state. And there was a word already, world, <laughs> that's valid in each and every country. Um, our One of our, our core partner, as I said, is based in the US. We've just uh, published also some press release, uh, which was picked up on Bloomberg. We have whole Europe uh, engaging very strongly um, in the climate transition. What we do is absolutely replicable in all countries in the world. Some of these countries are further in the process, probably in Europe, for example, or in North America, and some are not so far in the process. But of course, our, let's say, in the next year's plan is to also go into markets that are not German-speaking and also help the climate transition in these markets. Conquer the world out of Germany, except of France, as we learned, right? France is different than Germany. So, <laughs> no, but it sounds really interesting. And um, I, I assume also that you have learned a lot in the last years and coming to a kind of an end of our podcast. What would be your key learning you would like to yeah, hand over and give as an advice to our listeners? So, What was so kind of eye-opening for you going through this journey? And you say, maybe if I could avoid this mistake or if I have uh, learned it earlier or known this earlier, it would help me. What kind of advice you would like to give to our listeners? 
I mean, there's um, so many points. I'm just thinking hard on what is the most relevant. Let's touch upon one thing we haven't talked about yet, which is leadership. I believe that giving your company a vision, a plan, a purpose on one side, giving security for uh, a trusted environment um, for everybody to bring the best performance, I would say this is the key enabler for any company, not the only platforms, not startups. And sometimes that misses and that probably also missed in the beginning of Digico. Uh, that we focused on the technical platform and the technical abilities more than on the big picture, on where do we want to add value and how exactly do we do that in the very close future in order to actually make a difference in the world, make a difference in the climate transition fight. And that we adapted very strongly after a certain time and that gave a great velocity to the firm because people are more motivated. We gain great talent from their market because they buy into the story. They want to be part of it. And I see many companies in the market who do it this way, like having this spirit. But I also see many, and these are usually those who fail, um, they don't have it. So they focus on maybe on sites that are not so close to the human desires of their team members and then they lose the best talents on the way and can't create the speed they need to create to be successful so in a word in one word that's then leadership and um, i think that is for me one of the most relevant learnings from the past years yeah so having the right purpose and as you described digico i think it's a perfect place right so you work on the energy transition so on the climate topic and AI, it's also a hot topic and you're also moving people to the right decisions in this way. So I think there is a perfect match here. It's a perfect benefit for the overall ecosystems we are living in. Yeah. Great opportunity here for people to apply. <laughs> Absolutely. Our slogan in German is, weil wir Zukunft lieben. In English, that would be because we love the future and that's why we work. That's why we get up every morning. And having this common core belief is a good thing, I can promise. It's a nice sentence in the days uh, where everything is negative and uh, yeah. I like it. Yes, I like it. Optimism. <laughs> yeah, Martin, thank you very much for joining our podcast and uh, sharing your journey and your learnings with us and our listeners. Yeah, maybe we can have you back in our podcast in maybe one, two years to see how you conquered the world <laughs> and um, yeah, how everything turned out. And um, yeah, again, thank you very much for joining. I hope you also had a bit of fun and uh, thanks for sharing. Thank you very much for having me uh, and us. I'm happy to come back. It was indeed a very short hour uh, and was a lot of fun. Looking forward to our next discussions. Thank you so much for sharing. <laughs>